a lot of us are tired and and burned out and just like the last two years with all the the junk that's gone on it's just like exhausting right and you add on top of everything we go through during the day like our regular days and what we've been dealing with and you add on top of that like thoughts about god see most of us believe there is some kind of god but who is he like is he this like unknowable mystical force or is he like a universal power of our consciousness or is he more like the, a tr that traditional idea of supreme first cause being? And when we when we get all hyped up, bent out of shape, tired, worn out, we we wonder is is he the same way? Like, does he like us? Is he is he is he a good god? Is he angry? Is he is he distant? Like, where is he when I'm when I'm almost, like on the end of my rope? Does he even care about what happens here? See, really, I think the, the deeper question we, we all ask in some way is, if there is a God, what does he think about me? How does, how does he feel about me? And how we answer that question really has the ability to shape not only our view of God, but how we see others, how we, how we see ourselves, and how we see our place in the world. So, let's talk about it together. So the question we all ask is, if there is a God, what does he think and feel about me? See, for, for many people who believe there is a God, and whether we put it into these words or not, we, we feel, yeah, there is a God. Sure, he loves me because he has to, right? He's God. He has to love me. And, but often he's, he's annoyed with me or, or angry with me or at the very least he's disappointed in me. Right? It's kind of like that, <laughs> that annoyed and frustrated parent in Walmart with dealing with that toddler, right? And they're like, yeah, you're my kid, so I, I can't leave you here and just, and just go. But if you ask for one more thing or if you throw one more tantrum, ah, right? We often think that's kind of how God is. Like for many people, God seems like an annoyed parent at best. And then we add on top of that what we're told and, and maybe taught either directly or indirectly from, you know, those religious relatives or, or religious people with the job of religion. And we f start thinking that, you know, God really likes those who have it all together, who, who, who are clean and, and try really hard to believe and, and act nice and the ones who really try to keep the rules. God likes people who, who don't drink or, or smoke or swear or, or watch the shows I like to watch. See, and if there is a God... He wants us to be for him and, and for the stuff he likes. And then if we do enough good stuff, if we're good enough, if we measure up, then maybe he'll, he'll be for us and, and hopefully give us a less hard life, right? Well, the problem with that is we don't really know who God is. See, we think he's like us, critical or, or judgmental or easily annoyed. See, we're pretty sure there's, there's someone or, or something out there that exists, but how will we ever know what, what that thing, he, she, it is like? We know what we've been told. We know what we feel, but who is God really? So I think one of the best ways to find out is to look at how God interacted with other people in the past, because this isn't a new problem of trying to figure out who God is. In fact, it's the same question ancient Israelites had when they first escaped e Egypt. Remember like the, the Exodus and Moses and all that kind of stuff? They were slaves for 400 years and after being 
400 years steeped in Egyptian culture and mythology. They then saw God do amazing things on their behalf, like the plagues and and the parting of the sea and and the uh, fiery pillar that led them through the desert. They saw some amazing things done by an unknown God that they really hadn't heard much about or from in 400 years. And they're saying, like, they're, like us, there's, there's something, there's someone out there that I, I can't explain. Like, something happens. Like, there's something there. But what is it? Or, or who is it? What, and if, what is it? What, is it? what are they like? They need to know who this God is that, that rescued them. And so, this God had their leader, Moses, write about who God is and write about the, God's relationship with humanity. And so, the first thing he writes is what we call the book of Genesis and the Jewish scriptures. It's the first uh, writing of their scriptures, the book of Genesis. And the first three chapters are an amazing poetic description of God creating the world and creating the first people. But the focus of these chapters really isn't what, what a lot of people try to make it out to be. See, the point of these chapters isn't how God created. It's not a scientific textbook of this is how God made the world. The point is who God is and why he created because God wants us to know who he really is. And so as God introduces himself to this new nation that he's creating, what is the first thing he wants them to know about him? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. See, according to Moses, God created everything out of nothing. He's the the uncaused first cause. And believe me, I am not a scientist. Science was my second worst subject. My first worst, I'll tell you about another time. But I do know physicists have been able to basically figure out everything that happened in the first like picosecond of the universe. What happened immediately right after the Big Bang. But the cause. Why it exploded. What happened before. Where all that matter that was like the size of a pin that created the universe. Where that came from. That rapidly expanded. Where did that come from? And I know this might seem simple. But sometimes, honestly... You know, this the, the simplest answer is really the best answer. See, Moses said, everything that came before, what was before was God. But, like, ask, think about this. If it was God, if God did, like, cause everything to be created, why did he do it? Like, what's the point? If he's already existing and he's God, so he's fully, like, himself, he doesn't need anything, he's already existing, just fine in the eternal before, why create why create the universe? Because he wanted to. He wanted to. God created everything because he wanted to, including us, including you. See, God created you because he wanted to, but it gets better. See, Moses then goes through the familiar story that a lot of us have heard of God creating the world and, and really the universe in a week. I remember I, when I went to a Christian school in, in elementary school, we had to memorize what was created on each day of creation. Was it all created in six days and on the seventh God rested and all that? Maybe. Science right now would, would say no. That's not exactly how it happened. Maybe this is more of a poetic thing. And I know you're thinking, you, you're thinking, wait, so you're saying you don't believe. I'm saying I don't really care. Because that's not the main point of what was written here. What I care about is the main point. And the main point of what Moses wrote wasn't to give us a step-by-step of how God created everything. The whole point, the big picture of this very poetic passage is to explain why God created and what the universe tells us 
about God. Then God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good. Then he separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day and the darkness night. And evening passed and morning came, marking the first day. And it says, then he, it goes on, Moses goes on. And it kind of says the same thing about everything else that God creates. The, the oceans, the plants, the animals, even, even the stars. He uses the same phrase over and over when God creates something. He, God creates something on a certain day and then God says, God, it says, God saw that it was good. So he makes something, he looks at it, he's like, this is good. Why? <laughs> like, is he, is he checking his work? Being like, oh, did I miss anything? Or is he, <laughs> is he kind of reassuring himself since this might be the first time he's made a universe? God didn't need the universe. Like, he didn't need it. He existed without all these things. So what or who is all of this creation good for? Then God said, let us make human beings in our image to be like us. They'll reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, the livestock, all the wild animals on earth, and the small animals that scurry along the ground. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. See, once God had everything ready, once he had made everything good, then he created humans. It's like when you're expecting a new baby and you get the house all ready. You get like the, the little drawer things that can't open the drawers, which are super annoying. You get the little things on the doorknobs. You make sure you have no hard points on your tables. You get the nursery already painted. You, you get like the, the crib already. You get the diaper genie thing there, good to go. That's what God was kind of like in making this universe. He's getting everything ready for his ultimate creation. And he made us. Once he had everything ready, he made humans. How did he make them? Not the point. The point is God created the universe for us. In fact, my, my, my middle son, Benji, often has this prayer when, when we pray for dinner and stuff. I've told him this kind of idea of creation. He's like, God, thank you for getting every, everything ready for us and then making us. See, what this means really is that originally every sunset, every forest, every fern, every ocean discovery, every drop of rain that lands on the pine tree and then the sun shines, looks like crystals everywhere, was created for us. Created for us to be able to survive, to, to be able to thrive, and to enjoy. See, why do you think it f so many of us feel closer to God when we're in nature? Because it was made for us. Why do we have this capacity to appreciate the beauty and grandeur and, and wonder around us? Like, we don't need that to evolutionarily survive, right? We don't have the bugs looking around trying to survive and being like, whoa, what a great big tree. They just go into the tree and eat the bugs. See, God not only created the world for us, he gave us the ability to enjoy and appreciate what was made for us. But wait, there's more. Then God blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and govern it. Reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, and all the animals that scurry along the ground. See, God made everything good, and then he simply gave it to us. Why? Like, why do all of this? Why create the laws of physics and nature? And why, why create everything we can see, and even the things we don't see, like gravity and protons and neurons and all this? Why do all of that for us? I mean, like, think about it. We, we hadn't done anything to deserve anything 
from God. We had just been given consciousness. We hadn't done anything to earn anything. He created all of it and then gave us all of it again because he wanted to. It's so easy to skip by. It's so easy to skip, but it really shows one of the most fundamental truths about God. God loves to give. Like it's one of the main things about God. You read the biblical writings and he is always giving, is giving constantly to people who don't deserve it. Then God said, look, I have given you every seed. There it is again. I have given you. I have given you every seed bearing plant throughout the earth. Every seed bearing plant throughout the earth and all the fruit trees for your food. He said, I've given you every tree on earth. It's two people. It's Adam and Eve. They didn't need every tree. Like they needed a modest farm with some carrots and some turnips and some potatoes and stuff. They hadn't prepared the soil and and cleared the rocks out and plowed it and planted and, and watered and fertilized and pruned these trees. They did absolutely nothing and were given absolutely everything. See, God's love is always infinitely beyond what is needed, deserved, or earned. This is what we so often miss when we think about God or when we think about what God thinks about us. See, we, we say, it, or we subconsciously think, if God ever thinks about me, he's, like I said, at least disappointed. Like, I don't measure up to what he wants. If I, if I could just get my act together or, or get back to church, he'll be happy with me. And, and then I'll have his love. I'll earn his love. I'll have his love back. But God doesn't work that way. God loved you before you were you. God loved you before you existed. Before you could do anything for him, he loved you. And what, what could you give God that he doesn't have that would make him love you more? Think some obedience is something God's dying for and, and it'll make him love you more? See, even if we've been told this before, it's so easy to forget because it's just how we think. But God's love is not dependent on you. You have nothing to do with it. He loves you whether you like it or not. Like Paul, the Apostle Paul said, nothing can separate us. No thing can separate us from God's love. Nothing God created, including you, can make him stop loving you. And not just tolerating. He doesn't just tolerate us. Nothing can stop him from delightedly loving you more than you could ever need. And I don't care if you've been following Jesus for 80 years, and this seems basic, or if you're not sure God exists, and maybe this seems too good to be true or like wishful thinking. Again, sometimes the simple truth is the best truth. God chooses to love you because he loves you. He likes you. He enjoys you. He delights in you. He is not mad at you. He is not annoyed with you. He's not passively, aggressively distant from you because he's bothered. He has always been, always, he is, and he always will be for you. God has been for you before the beginning of time. You know what's weird? Some people reject this idea. Like they downplay or they ignore this aspect of God because it seems too easy or it seems selfish, right? There's something in us that says either this is too good to be true or we're being self-centered by focusing on God's love for us, right? And, And we should be working harder to make sure we have sufficient love for God. 
Like, for some reason, this seems like a watered-down version of God, where people would be like, John, this is, this is basic. Like, where's the deep truths? Why are you always talking about God's love? Where I say, why aren't you? Like, love is the core of who God is. Describing God's love is the deepest truth there is in the universe. And you can't love God until we really taste how much he loves us. And even more, the better we grasp God's love for us, the better we love others. See, knowing and experiencing God's love inspires our love for God and others. So I am giving you permission to focus on, to meditate on, to purposely and consciously enjoy God's love for you. So this week, enjoy, soak in, meditate on this amazing passage of God's love, how he cares for us in Psalm 139, one through 18. Read that once a day and just, you don't have to pick out truths or anything, just enjoy the truth of how God loves you. And then once you read that, pray a simple prayer. God, thank you for loving me. Help me to see it, help me to accept it, help me to experience it. I mean, think about it. The simple truth is, when God sees you, he sees his child he created on purpose. He sees a child who he chooses to love unconditionally, a child he enjoys entirely, and a child he loves to give to extravagantly. What if we didn't just brush that off as like a a simple thing or, or this basic thing? What if the core of who you are was founded in the fact that you are personally known cared for, created by the infinite, eternal, all-powerful God. How would that change each of our, each of your, each day? How would that change the way you see others? How would that change how you see yourself? See, it's not wishful thinking, and it's not something just for the select few. God is for you, and there is proof all around you, because the universe is proof that God loves you. Thanks for watching part one of discovering what God actually thinks about you. Put out by Cross Creek Community Church. There's going to be more of these to come. Uh, spoiler alert, there are going to be some good news for you. If you want to know when new episodes are coming out, you can like and subscribe. Subscribing and hitting that notification bell on YouTube uh, gives you alerts so that you know when it's coming. If you're listening on the podcast, thanks so much for listening. Make sure you review and rate these episodes. It helps other people find this content couple of things coming up for you in May. As you can see here on the screen, if you're watching on YouTube, we have first and third Sundays uh, dedicated to Youth Connect, which happens at 5 p.m. That's for middle school and high schoolers. And we include dinner with those events. It includes small groups, a game, and some really good conversations. Second and fourth Sundays are dedicated to our large group gatherings happening on May 8th and 22nd this month. They're at 4.30 and they include music, a message, communion, and a meal afterwards. You can find out more by going online to yourcrosscreek.com, but those happen at 525 Idlewood Drive in South Salem on the second and fourth Sundays of the month. Thanks so much for watching this. Thanks for liking and subscribing. 
Thanks for interacting us with us in the comments or via email. And you can always sign up for text alerts by texting party to 94,000. Have a great week and we'll see you next time.